to, well, what does that mean to you as an employee or today uh, you sitting in the pews? And while that's rich and meaningful to me, it's, it's only rich and meaningful because it's loaded. Uh, it's loaded with a whole bunch of uh, meaning and specifics, which for the most part is going to go over everyone's head. What I think is a lot more accessible to people uh, is talking about what Scripture is particularly pertinent to us as a church. Now, there are four scriptures which are particularly pertinent for us as a church. When I think about who has God made us to be, what makes us unique, what's shaping us, and uh, I want to look at uh, one of these today, the Great Commission, uh, but let me just read these others to you. Uh, so uh, I've, I've titled them this way, uh, the Great Commission, which we find in the end of Matthew primarily, uh, the Great Commandments, which uh, you can find in Luke. Great Compassion and Great Companionship. Now, uh, when it comes to the Great Commission, let me just uh, read it to you at the end here of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the last few words in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it, it reads as follows. This is Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee. Now at this point, Judas has already uh, betrayed Jesus, is no longer part of the twelve. And they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some even doubted. Now we're talking about the resurrected Jesus. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I am actually 55 years old uh, this month, and uh, many of my colleagues are starting to retire. <laughs> and it's like, wait a bit, retire? How does that happen? Uh, you know, I feel like uh, the Lord has like, been practicing with me for 15 years, and I'm just ready to get going. So uh, uh, when, when my peers are saying, you know, well, I'm burnt out from ministry, I'm exhausted, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We, we, we're like, we're talking about the new building and, and, and I want to like get going. I, don't give me this like burnt out, feeling tired, wiped out, exhausted stuff. I, I said, I'm just not there. Uh, and one of the reasons why I feel energized or one of the reasons why church never gets old for me or uh, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing what, I, it, it, what I'm doing, uh, preaching, being part of this church, uh, taking the lead role here, is the absolute honest privilege and delight of seeing lives transformed. It just never, ever gets old when I see uh, people coming through these doors and Jesus transforms them. Now, it's not, let me just make this real clear, just one of the ways we work here at the, at the, at the vineyard. I really don't mind in what format you come through those front doors. You can come through uh, drunk, you can come through disheveled, you can come through as a complete atheist. Uh, you can come just the way you are. You can come with loaded with questions, loaded with doubt, uh, from a good family background, from wealthy family background, from a poor family background. You can be addicted. I, I, I really, you are welcome to come to this church. 
Now, now we've got to remember that when people act up and they look funny and strange. And you're like, why are you doing that in God's house? <laughs> well, the way this thing works uh, here at the vineyard is we don't ask you to clean up your act and then come through the doors. We say, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Just like allow the Holy Spirit to stir it up in you and mix it up in you and allow the Spirit of God at God's timing and in God's way to shape you and transform you. There's a difference. It's not my timing, because my timing is always going to be do it quickly. Like, I mean, you're a mess. I, let me clean you up. You need to look like Jesus, you know. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the way you're living. I don't like the way you, you, you everything. I mean, you know, be like Jesus, quick, tomorrow. No, well, you know, the Holy Spirit has a much better plan and is much better at transforming us from within. And, and this, this process starts like this. We fall in love with Jesus. So really, my job is to just constantly be pointing you to Jesus. And then as you like fall off the wagon and you go astray, it's like I point you back to Jesus. Because it's only Jesus that's going to transform you. I can come up with the best words and I can read Scripture to you. But unless the Spirit of God within you, from, from within, puts the desire in you to want to be like Jesus, uh, then it's just a, a, a useless topic. But it isn't useless because God does do that. I mean, he's, I've seen him do it in my life, and I've seen him do it in your lives, and it just never gets old. I mean, for all of you that have come to faith in this church, I just got to tell you, from my perspective, from the outside looking in, it's delightful to see people be transformed and be excited about Jesus and see their quality of life just improve. I mean, their joy level, their happiness level, uh, just they pleasure to be around. It's a delight to see that happen. And for some of you, that's, you know, way back. And for some of you, it's like really recent. And, uh, you know, every time I'll just look at your faces, I mean, I just, it's just a, a delight uh, how God does that. So uh, it just never gets old. Now, one of the sort of aha moments for me, you know, kind of we like knew this, but it wasn't like a fresh thing for me, was, uh, Jeff Narelli, when they came on staff as pastors and with the passion for the kids, saying, well, you know, it's also about the kids. And I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of thought it was. I mean, my kids grew up in the church uh, as we planted the church, raised in the church, and they loved Jesus out of the church. But uh, they were just kind of tagging along with what we were doing. Uh, then I realized that it's kind of a big deal. I mean, it, I knew it was, but I wasn't really focused on it until Jeff Narelli pointed me in this area. It's really a big deal that our kids, firstly, are passionate followers of Jesus. And we need to create an environment where that can take place. And that's what we're trying to do in this church. And we're putting resources and we're trying to put the best teachers in in children's ministry and to try and give give them the best space. And they've done a good job. I mean, and doing a good job. But folks, let me just put it this way. If uh, we're in Hopkinton, obviously, if the school of Hop, if the town of Hopkinton wanted to create a school for the 50 kids or so that we got in children's ministry and the 20 kids that we got in youth ministry, or even if we're going to double that size, uh, they would not build a facility like the one we got. You would not have 50 kids like over there in that small compartment and say, that's an awesome program for, for school. And as for the youth, well, just enjoy it out there in creation. Creation's great. Just have a whale whale of a time, youth. That's all. No, you'd actually 
maybe even just give him a building just for the youth, just, just a building. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you. So yeah, all the youth are they, they diligently listening to me. Uh, uh, but when we think of the Great Commission, yes, it starts with our kids, but it's so much more than that. There's a lot of people in our towns where the parents are uh, kind of at a loss on how to raise their kids with a different perspective than what they're getting in, at school. For some parents, they're saying, kids, please don't do what I did. You know, we tried drugs, we tried a whole lot of sex, we tried rock and roll, and it, 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 we kind of made it through it, but please don't follow my example. Uh, you know, for other, for other parents, they're saying, you know, we grew up in church, we kind of liked it, we fell away. Now that we've got young kids, we're realizing that that's kind of important, and we want our kids to know Christ, and we want to know what's right and what's wrong and what's ethical, and what's pleasing to God, and what's not pleasing to God. And you can't expect that to be taught in a public school. It's not coming from a, you know, Christ's perspective of what's right and wrong, and from Christ's perspective of how I want to bless you. So uh, what I am saying is when we think about the Great Commission, it's your friends, and it's your kids, and it's your kids' friends, but at the kids' level, the younger level, is a, just a golden opportunity. Those kids want to learn about Jesus. And many friends, parents that are not that interested in church really want their kids to be involved uh, in church because they want them to, to be good kids. They want them to be kids that grow up in the faith. And so it's an opportunity for us uh, to do that. Now, when you accept Christ, you get adopted into God's family. We all adopted in. Uh, I mean, this this is a family church, but that means we all welcome, whether you're an old person, a single person, a young person, uh, you know, come by yourself person, this table is big. It's wide. You're welcome to come and eat and fellowship at this table. God's family is inclusive. Uh, so be a grandparent. Uh, one of the blessings that happened to Liz and I when we came here to the States, uh, we met a, a family with similar interests to us, and their parents adopted us in the spirit, in the faith, as like spiritual grandparents. And that was a huge blessing to us, to have some like, you know, senior citizens uh, interested in us and praying for us and asking us questions about Jesus. I mean, that was awesome. Look, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you're welcome in this church. There's space for you. And I, uh, I want to say that. Uh, a few years ago, I'm hesitant to say this, quite a few years ago, uh, the New England Patriots actually won the Super Bowl. I know we've been hoping and close, but it was quite a few years ago that we won the Super Bowl. And I remember a week after the Super Bowl celebration where Tom Brady, the New England quarterback, uh, said this statement. And I actually wrote in and got a tape of this because I said, I, I can't believe you're saying this. But Tom Brady, a week after winning the Super Bowl, said there's got to be more to life than this. And I'm like, Tom Brady's saying that. Now listen, most athletes would just die, you know, do anything to be uh, as good as Tom Brady in their sport, whether it be football or whatever. And it's similarly in business. Uh, not many people become the CFO or the CEO of a big corporation. Many people just killing themselves to get up they're in the, uh, you know, in the whatever, the business world or the sports world. And yet what's missing is this emptiness, this longing. It's like there's got to be more to it than this, which is what Tom Brady is saying. And you're absolutely right, there is. Only Jesus can give us that fulfilled 
satisfying, complete uh, life. And that's what, uh, you know, just uh, I find just so uh, incredible about church is when we can connect people to Jesus, uh, they will uh, fall in love with Jesus. Now, another little observation I've made uh, is this. It seems to me that often people that have been raised in church, they get to being about like 45 years old, and then all of a sudden they get bored with church. And like just, they start just like falling out or falling away, or they become super critical. You know, it's like the worship is blah, 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 and the preaching, blah, 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 and the, you know, brothers and Bible, and it's just like, you know, they're just like losing interest. But here's the thread. I, I, you know, I finally realized what's the missing part of this. It's, it's not more conferences or deeper Bible study or more incredible worship. or it's, it's not that. The missing thread is this. It's very, very simple. You need to be inviting your friends to church. When you invite a friend to church and you see them being transformed by Jesus, uh, church will never be boring again for you. And this is what happens to you. You start growing. Because believe me, you invite a friend to church, you like real nervous. Now all of a sudden you're worried about what's Rob going to preach about. And you say, please don't let it be this series on, on buildings and, and money. And it's like, okay, let me just not, Rob, where's the preaching calendar? All of a sudden you're interested in my preaching calendar where you've never been before. And then you're worried about what does the building look like? Oh, please let the place be picked up and, and somewhat clean. And, and all of a sudden you're sensitive to all these things. And then, lo and behold, uh, after this, you, the, your friend has been at service, uh, they got a whole bunch of questions. It's like, you know, what about this and what about that? And now, all of a sudden, you, found, you find that you have to answer all these questions, and you find yourself, like, uh, lacking. This is called growth. This is normal, normal church life. So let me just say this to you. If you're getting a little bit bored, ask yourself, who have you invited to church recently? Who have you brought along and who have you seen, whose life have you seen transformed? And if you have brought somebody and you have seen their lives be transformed, I guarantee you, you are one of the happiest people in this church. I mean, you, you all of a sudden start coming on time. It's just an amazing thing. And uh, you're just like interested in everything. It's just incredible. That's the way God has made it. That's just, we're partnering together in the gospel. All right, let's get to Haggai before I run out of time. As you can hear, I'm excited. Haggai, Old Testament book. It is hard to find. You might want to use an index to find it. It's only two chapters long. It is the 10th book of the 12 minor prophets. It is buried in your Bible, and you probably may not have even known that there was such a guy called Haggai. Uh, and you probably haven't read Haggai uh, much recently, but maybe after today you'll read the whole incredible book uh, of two chapters. <laughs> My kind of a book. You knock it right out. I read that book, two chapters. Uh, let me just uh, start reading it. It says, on August the 29th, very specific, of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave this message. Now, uh, what's really uh, remarkable about this book of Haggai is this. It's got a very specific date, and it mentions a very real king that was not part of the Jewish uh, kings or wasn't even Jewish. He was Persian. We can date this book 
extremely accurately. There's external historical records of this king and of his reign and of the Jewish people at this time all outside of the Bible. It's just a whole bunch of historical evidence uh, supporting the truth of this book. It's, it's incredible. So we know that we are talking about the year 520 B.C. Okay, now, as I said, when you pick up an Old Testament book and you're reading something that's 520 B.C., it takes a little bit of time to just like get up to speed with like what's happening and how does this apply to my life uh, now? Because there's a little bit of time that's gone on in between. And if you just start reading this thing, okay, God, you know, speak to me out of this book. Uh, no, you need to get it, figure out the context. So uh, the context is uh, briefly the uh, people of God, the Jewish people, uh, had gone into exile. They've been living in exile for a whole bunch of years, and now they've returned to the land. So they returned to the land in uh, 18 years or 16, 18 years before this. This, this prophet Haggai speaks. And uh, when they got back into the land, uh, they settled in for about a year, and then they started building the temple of God. And they were building this temple for about uh, 18 months, and then they picked up a whole bunch of opposition, and they stopped building it, and they were just now existing. So think of this. They've been there like 16 years and uh, haven't done anything else with the temple, uh, and they're new to the land. They're new coming back into this land. And uh, God sends this prophet Haggai to speak on his behalf. And he's uh, speaking to the two most influential people uh, of the Jewish uh, folks. The first is the Lord gave this message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, who is the governor, and then to Jeshua, who is the high priest. Now, this is what God says. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. Mm. You see, <laughs> there's a human nature thing that comes through here. Now, when it comes to building projects and building temples and building churches, there's a natural tendency to always say, not now, please not now. Uh, can we just do that later? Uh, you know, now's not the time. We first need to get our own house in order. We need to, like, get some wealth ourselves. We need to get established. We need, we need and it becomes very self-focused. And uh, what's missing is the rest of the story. And God says this. He says in verse 3, The Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses? <clears throat> Let me try that again. You got some uh, water there for me somewhere? That'll be great. Uh, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Uh, now, just think about it. If you've moved from absolute poverty, you've been a slave, you're coming back to the new area, area where God wants you to live, you've only been there for like, you know, 16 odd years. I mean, believe me, you haven't had enough time to build a palace. Uh, you haven't had enough time to build like beautiful mansions. Uh, you've got a roof over your head. You've got a house. Thank you, really. And God is saying to these people, why are you living in these such plush mansions? I mean, just picture it in context. This can't really be that plush a mansion. 
Whew, now what is called? <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Next time I'll ask for coffee. <laughs> so one of the problems, it's a human nature problem. We always think that we need to build our houses and our houses need bigger and better and more furniture and more decorating and we're not quite there yet and you know, when we get there, we'll get going. Uh, but God is saying, you're missing out on something big. And then he carries on and he says, let me give you a spiritual insight into what's happening that you don't realize that's happening, but it's really important that you get this insight. And he says this, this is what the Lord of, heaven, of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much and harvested little. Uh, and then it carries on and says, your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You know, so many people that I know of, it's not a problem with your income level. It's a problem like, where does your money go? I mean, like at the end of the month, it's like just gone. It's like you've got holes in your pocket. You know, one of those holes is debt. I mean, you're just paying off debt and debt and debt. And I'm, thankfully, we've got a financial peace class, which is doing awesome. Thank you, Steve. Greg, it's, I'm glad it's moving along. Because God doesn't want us to be stuck in debt. He doesn't want to have, have us have holes in our pockets. He wants to bless us. Uh, but there's a spiritual dynamic that's going on here. Uh, God is saying, you don't have anything left at the end of the month. Uh, it's like you've got holes in your pocket because I'm not with you in the way you're living financially. And then he says here in verse 9, you'd hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And then he gives us the answer. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine homes. And then we move along here uh, in the middle of verse 12. It says, God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. You know, this little prophet Haggai, I mean, if you were going to be any prophet in the Old Testament, you wanted to be like Haggai. He's like one of the very few prophets that the people actually listen to. I mean, all the other prophets, you know, Isaiah is preaching his heart out, and people are like, well, yeah, right. You know, and it's like God speaking. I mean, you'd think, if I only just could hear from God, if I could just hear a word from God, I'd be awesome. No, no, the, the problem is not hearing from God. The, the problem is obeying God. God is speaking loudly to all of us. Our problem is like when we hear from God, we say, can we hear again? Can you tell me it a different way? I mean, like, you know, a year later, we're still saying, God, I'm, I'm battling to hear you. Can you speak again? But God said, well, if you just obey what I told you last time. I mean, that was the problem with all the prophets. Except for Haggai, the people began to obey God. And then it says this, When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. And uh, so the Lord sparked enthusiasm in these folks. And they began to work on the house of, of their, their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies. And on September 21st, the second year of King Darius' reign, they got, they got to it. They got, they got busy. They got working. So, uh, you know, I just want to say from a leadership standpoint, the great leaders of the Bible, the, the, the first leadership principle is listen to God and obey God. But it's this 
desire to want to listen to God. And if you read through the book of Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, I mean Chronicles uh, more so, because David listened to, to God. But the other kings, they didn't listen to God. And that was their downfall. So the first leadership principle in our lives is, will we listen and obey to God? He wants to be for us and he wants to bless us. It will go well with you uh, if you will listen to the Lord. I, uh, I want to have Tony Allen come up and just share his uh, testimony uh, on what God has done in their lives. And uh, as Tony comes up here, uh, Tony is one of those folks and his wife, Debbie, who, you know, came to faith here. I remember very vividly baptizing uh, Debbie in December in the swimming pool in the freezing cold waters, yes, uh, and uh, Tony uh, didn't do much better. We, we arranged after that, we decided we're going to have a real warm baptism for Tony. So we did it at FCCH's baptismal pool, and we got, got there. That was really great, except they forgot to put the heat on. So Tony had a freezing cold baptism, and I was in there too freezing cold, but it was awesome. I was the one in the pool. She oh, was, I get back she to was the one in I the church. It was Debbie in there. She was Debbie that said she didn't want you. So you were the... Anyway, it was cold immersion one way or the other. One way or another. But God did something great in both their lives and is still. Anyway, tell us about finances, Tony. So uh, a brief story, but it's a good one. About two years ago, I received a letter from a law firm in Boston representing the estate of a woman whose name I didn't recognize. The letter stated that the estate of my mother, who died several years ago, was to inherit $75,000. I thought it must be some sort of scam. Then I decided to check with my older sister. She told me that the letter was legitimate and that the unknown woman was actually a cousin of my mother's. So I filled out the paperwork and I mailed it to the law office. I thought it would be nice to split $75,000 with my four brothers and three sisters for anybody that wants to do the math. <laughs> but I never really gave it another thought. Then, shortly before the building fund campaign was launched at the church, my wife and I went out to dinner with Rob and Liz. When Rob mentioned the idea, all I could think of was, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> we were here for the first building fund. The next thought was, how can we contribute? We were already supporting the church through tithing and had one child in college and another ready to enter this fall. Not only wasn't there any extra money, there wasn't enough for our second child's tuition. The quick and simple prayer with my wife was, God, if you want us to contribute, you'll find a way. The simple ones seem to always work better. <laughs> During the summer, another letter came from the estate lawyer. They were requesting more signatures to release the funds. The original paperwork had led us all to believe that we were, would be sharing $75,000. In reality, we would each receive $75,000 from a relative that we had never known. That relative that I now know as my favorite cousin, Mary, <laughs> 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 
She had stayed in the same house for 98 years. She never married. She lived with her two brothers. They never married. When they died, she inherited their money. The money was invested, and when she died, her estate was worth $7 million. She left $75,000 to about 30 different people. And the bulk of her estate she left to, get this, the building fund of her church. <laughs> I wish that I could tell you that we donated all of the newfound money to the Hopkinton Church Building Fund, but that's not what happened. But where there wasn't a way, God made a way. Not only were we able to donate to the building fund, we were also able to help with some worthy causes at La Vida Vineyard. And we were able to pay a full year's tuition at UMass Amherst. So this is what I want to leave you with. Everyone arrives at their own truths in their own ways. I believe that God blesses the finances of those who tithe. Even though we struggled with tithing in the beginning, and even though our tithing resulted in having very little in the way of a college fund set aside for our children, I always felt that when the time came, God would provide. And he did. Well, I, I wish uh, Tony's story would be all of your stories. But let me give you some bad news. That's not how faith works. Faith works like you have to have your own story. And when you get your own story, then it's an awesome story. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not about, I'm not about uh, hyping or manipulating. It's not what we do here at, at the Vineyard. Uh, but I am about uh, trying to encourage you to have a God experience like Tony did. And so, um, uh, you, you know, as Tony was just summarizing something he said, that when I met with Tony, I wasn't planning to meet with him to talk about giving money to the building uh, campaign. I just wanted earlier on in this year to start the campaign by going, by speaking to a bunch of leaders and uh, Tony and Debbie, as he said, had been faithful in giving to this building uh, to get us in here. That was only, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and just wanted to be in there. But Tony, being the man of God that he is, he was willing to just ask God the simple question. And that's what I want to challenge all of you to do. Uh, the, the challenge is, will you just ask God? God, do you want me to participate? And if so... How much? That's it. I'm not asking for any more than that, but I'm also asking for nothing less than that. And if God does speak to you, and if God does make that clear to you, then I'm encouraging you to do the harder part. Hearing God's the easy part. The harder part is obeying, and then doing what God says. Now, most of you say, yeah, well, if I got 75000 from some aunt I never knew, I'd definitely give it. Would you? Uh, if you got a promotion or, you know, transfer or some other big 
sort of financial windfall, would you see the connection? So let's just hit the lights for a second, and we're going to do that very long-winded prayer. Uh, this will take me like 30 seconds. Uh, if you're with me, we, we'll repeat what Tony prayed. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray uh, briefly. Lord, we, we don't want to start our prayer with how are we going to do this. That's not faith at all. Lord, our prayer is, do you want us? To, do you want me to participate, God? And if so, Lord, how much? And Lord, I'm just asking that you would give people, you know, figures. You would speak to them very finitely, and that there would be agreement between spouses. And Lord, I just pray that there would be blessing on your people. Lord, I just pray for your people right now that you would uh, sew up the holes that are in their pockets, that the money doesn't just disappear and not know where it goes. Lord, that you bless them in ways that they don't even know about or anticipate. Uh, Lord, that they experience your love and your joy and your peace and your excitement about hearing you, Lord, and obeying you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would speak now to your people, that you would put it on their heart, what it is that you want them to give. And, Lord, I just remove all guilt or manipulation. And, Lord, like for those that just can't hear you, Lord, I just, we just acknowledge, we just release them, Lord, that they don't have to do anything because we want to hear you, Lord. And if we can't be connected to you, Lord, we lost. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I don't know if the Lord uh, did speak to you or didn't speak to you, or if you um, had a figure that may have come up. Make put the lights back on for me, Ken. Uh, um, you know, one of the fun things is, is to try and discuss with your spouse independently, like what figure you came up with. Uh, when we were just started as a church, we were a teeny little church, um, didn't have a building, didn't have a church office, uh, didn't have a whole lot of money in the bank. Uh, there was another church that was starting down here, and they were doing a building campaign. And uh, we just sat together and we said, you know, uh, how much money uh, should we help them with, this other church? And uh, I got a figure in my head, and, and uh, one of the other board members, like, we were sitting out, and he said, well, what figure did you get? And uh, we both got the same figure, $20,000. We said, great. That'll probably empty our whole savings account, but great, let's uh, just... And we did. And it, it was an awesome step of faith for us. And, you know, here we are. We were like no church, no building, no nothing. Hardly even had a drum set. I mean, nothing. But it was fun for us uh, because it scared the daylights out of us. Uh, but it was a faith-building exercise for us. And we were felt... You know, we felt blessed by that. When we told the church, the church like applauded. They didn't feel like we'd squandered their money. They, found, they felt like we'd heard from God and we were blessed. So that for what it's worth. Why don't we have the worship team coming up? We want to do uh, communion. And I... Uh, let me see if I can find that section. 
I don't know that I've ever read from the book of Haggai to uh, do communion, but here we go. It says here in verse 6, You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. And Jesus used both those phrases, those ideas, where he says uh, to the woman at the well, I will give you living water and you won't be thirsty again. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when we take communion, uh, we are mindful that it is Jesus who sustains us. And it is Jesus which removes that spiritual and physical thirst for more and more and more. It's Jesus that, uh, in dying on the cross for us, in making himself personal to us, in forgiving the things that we do that uh, are displeasing to God, called sin. Uh, he said, I have paid the price for you, and I am for you, and I love you, and I want to help you, and I want to bless you. It's that that we are mindful of when we take communion. So um, last time, because I came up with a new idea of how to do communion, we caused a major traffic jam. And so uh, this time we have a whole other new idea, and that's... Uh, <laughs> And that's this. Uh, if you find yourself in row behind the post, that's the, the, the other part of this uh, sanctuary, those that live behind the posts, your communion tables are at the back. If you find yourself uh, in front of the post, in other words, you go to church on time, then uh, your communion... <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Then your communion is up here, up front. So uh, in whatever format you like. Last time I tried to direct traffic and caused a major traffic jam. So I'm not directing traffic. You can either go to the back or the front. Here it is, and it's gluten-free down here. But Lord Jesus, we just thank you that uh, in no small sense, you told us to take communion, uh, to be mindful of you and what you've done for us. And Lord, there's nothing that we want more than you to be personal, that we want to hear you speak to us. We want to hear you uh, move in our lives, engage us. Lord, we want to experience your reality and your presence, uh, even with our finances. And so, Lord, we just uh, come and do communion here together. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand up, actually, hold someone's hand, uh, just as a symbol of unity. Uh, if I can just do this often enough, then I'll, I'll, we'll make it a, a ritual. I, I don't know. I keep forgetting to do this. So, Lord, uh, just in, in unity, we just come together to you as a church, Lord, desiring uh, your peace and your blessings. Uh, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, find your way to uh, communion station. Why don't we stand and just sing a closing uh, chorus here, and then you're welcome to uh, spend some more time praying, come up for prayer. But let's just do a closing chorus and then... You can spend some time uh, as you please with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, that you are holy, that you are worthy. And Lord, we just leave here, Lord God, with your peace. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to just invite you to come forward for prayer, for anything that you might uh, want prayer for. I particularly encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, to come forward for prayer. And Kevin, uh, maybe you give us one um, 
thought from this morning's prayer. If this is pertinent to you, come, out, come forward for prayer. Uh, after this, I need you to get your kids. Uh, just a scripture from uh, Isaiah 60, uh, verse 1. Arise, let your, sh- let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. And um, th- there was a picture that went along with this verse. Uh, it, was, it was someone, and um, the Lord was calling this uh, person into some sort of a ministry. And uh, they were resisting it because um, something going on at home or in their family. Uh, and I believe the encouragement uh, for you this morning is, uh, is that the Lord wants to take care of those things going on in your family. And he wants you to be obedient to uh, what he's calling you to. Um, so let, let me just ask, is, is there anyone you feel like that, that applies to you this morning? Anyone brave enough to raise your hand? Okay. All right. Great. And, and if you'd like uh, prayer for anything else this morning, uh, we, we'd love to pray with you. Great folks, our service is over. You're welcome to just stay and pray a little more. Come forward for prayer. Have our prayer team pray for you. If you've got kids, go get them. Uh, if you've got a conversation, take it out in the lobby and uh, get a cup of coffee and, and hang out and, and share some fellowship time with some friends. Great to see you.